Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 10. Today, we're talking about trail cameras and everything you need to know to get the most out of them leading up to the hunting season. This should be an information-packed episode, so kick back, relax, and enjoy. Well, I am fresh off of a very nice, long, and sunburnt Memorial Day weekend, and joining me is my counterpart and co-host, Dan Johnson, out in Iowa. How was your weekend, bud? Well, I'll put it to you this way. I ate a lot of grilled meat. I drank a lot of beer. (laughs) I did some deer hunting stuff. I went fishing. I got to spend time with friends and family, so I crammed as much to-do type of things into three days as humanly possible. Man, that uh, that sounds about as good of a weekend as you can get. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was happy with it. How about you? That's awesome. I uh, I had a good weekend too. Like I said, got a lot of sun. Um, we spent a couple nights at the campground doing some canoeing and you know some chilling out, eating some burgers and brats, and had a cookout at a friend's house, and then did a bunch of yard work and a little bit of deer a deer related prep as well. So. Got some stuff done, which is always a good feeling. So I can't complain at all. I bet I bet in three days I ate twenty five bratwurst. <laughs> no, are you being serious? Literally Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and yesterday. I'm not I'm not joking. I bet you I ate close to twenty, twenty five bratwurst. I, I don't even know how to respond to that. That's just ridiculously impressive. <laughs> like meat sweats, you know, like I remember it was like Friday night. I was just, I was hungry for some reason because I didn't eat a lot uh, that day because I was trying to get out of work. And I just remember sitting there going next bun, loaded up, next bun, <laughs> sauerkraut, uh, uh, mustard. And, uh, and it was just like one went down, then another one, then another one. So yeah, I was, I was happy with my performance. This is that's pretty impressive. This is going to be perfect for uh, the episode we're going to do later this year, where we talk about um, being healthy and working out and stuff, and how that can help you as a hunter. <laughs> this is a great example. <laughs> I was uh, I was protein loading for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny. I can't claim to have uh, eaten anything that much recently, but like you did, I drank a few ice cold beverages. So if that counts for anything, that's good stuff. Um, well, I'm glad you have a good weekend, and we wanted. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the deer stuff that we did this weekend. So we'll dive into that in just a second. Um, But I had one more serious question I wanted to ask you before we got into the meat and potatoes here. All right, shoot. And speaking of potatoes, here's what I got for you. Dan, if (laughs) I don't even know know if I can say this without losing a straight face. If you were a potato, would you rather be a baked potato, a mashed potato, fried potatoes, or scalloped? Give it to me straight here. If I father, if I uh, followed in my father's footsteps, I would be scalloped potatoes. Do explain. But <laughs> but I'm not my father. Okay. Oh. I'm gonna have to go with fried potatoes. Like you, you slice them and then you fry them up. Because <laughs> in my opinion, there's nothing better than a good steak 
or deer loin with some fried potatoes and a little hot sauce. Mm, yes. I love that. That is good stuff. So that's my answer. Now I'm curious, A, what brought this on and B, what's your answer? <laughs> well, the answer to part A is, isn't really good. I, I have no idea. But Time literally, filler. We don't have a lot to talk yeah, about today. <laughs> not much to talk about. No, literally this is, I'm, I'm kind of strange, I guess. I was driving down the road and for some reason I started thinking about potatoes. And I was like, man, if you were a potato and then I got to think, hey, that'd be a good question to ask Dan. So here I am. I hope my, uh, I hope I gave a good answer. I thought it was pretty good. It's better than what I've got. Okay. I, I think I'd be a fried potato as well. Okay. But what I started thinking is I'd be a fried potato because I love the sun and love getting a good sunburn. So I was thinking I'd get fried in the sun. Um, so that's the best I got. I was kind of expecting you to make a joke about being a baked potato, but <laughs> I don't have any potato jokes. No, no potato jokes. Nothing about being baked. No, well, <laughs> maybe in college, yeah. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. So <laughs> we better talk about trail cameras before yeah. you start losing sponsors. Yeah. Enough about potatoes and, and all that good stuff. We really wanted to talk about trail cameras today. And like I mentioned, we both did some trail camera related uh, work this past weekend. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about what you were doing, Dan, uh, in a second, but I thought I'd kick things off here start, uh, by starting with a story about what happened to me this weekend, and it's actually kind of tragic. Um, so if you'll indulge me, I'm going to share a sad story. I'm all ears. All right, so about a little over a week ago, maybe 10 days, I put out my first trail cameras on some of my Michigan properties. Put out some mineral, got the cameras out there, and I figured I'd wait about a week to 10 days before going in there and changing them out. And at this point, uh, you know, I'm not expecting to see a whole lot, but there's still that chance of seeing the beginnings of some antler growth. And there's one buck in particular on one of these properties that I've been hunting for three years. Um, some of you might know this buck. I've been calling him leaner and I'm just dying to know if he made it through the winter. Last I saw him was December 10th and I've got no sign of him since, but Nobody around this area has killed him that I know of. I haven't found him dead. I shed hunted and walked all the properties for like a 500-acre area around here. No signs of him. So I'm really hopeful he's still around. But the whole point of me mentioning that is that I'm just praying to get a picture of him. He's got a big old scar and a blind eye, so I'll know it's him even if there's not much antler growth. And he seems to, the past two years, he's disappeared in December, and he shows back up in the very early summer. So my hope is he's out there. So long story short. Had those cameras out, hoping to get a picture of a leaner. Yesterday, I decided it was time to go check those cameras. And I had a bunch of other projects I wanted to do. I had to spray a couple food plots. I was hanging a bunch of no trespassing signs. And then I was going to check two trail cameras. So I headed back there. I pulled a couple SD cards, put up some trail cameras, some trespassing signs, no trespassing signs, and motored on back to, um, to the truck, to my house, came into my office, pulled out the SD cards out of my pocket and realized there were not SD cards. There was just one SD card. Somehow, some way along my hike and my little four wheeler ride, I lost one of my SD cards and it was just like a absolutely crushing feeling because this was the card that was in my best spot too, where I always get great pictures. Right. Oh, it was just devastating. 
you know how I, there's two things I hate the most. One, losing a card. This has happened to me twice now. Or number two, getting to a trail camera and finding out that it hasn't taken any pictures or something went wrong and you've got nothing. Because I don't know about you, but checking a trail camera is like Christmas morning. I get so ridiculously excited. Yeah, that is that's possibly up there with finding a big shed or actually killing a, a good deer that you've been after. Checking your trail camera and finding a giant on it is rates right up there as far as an excitement level is concerned for me, man. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's the best. The highest of highs, and then when something like this happens, it's the lowest of lows. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would rather get kicked in the junk than, <laughs> than actually come to find out that, you know, user error, I messed up on a trail camera, or it didn't take pictures, or I lost an SD card on the walk back. And I'm not joking. There's sometimes I'm so anal retentive about these things that I keep the SD card in my mouth while I walk back to my truck. And then I <laughs> put it into my ashtray of my truck and, and that's where I keep them. Yeah. Until I get, until I get home. I, yeah, I'm, I'm similar. I usually I put them in a zip up pocket, but yeah. this time it was just in my regular Man, front sucks. pocket. And I mean, the, the only thing that could be worse is what happened to me like three years ago. I pulled a card and it was during the rut. It was a card for the first two weeks of November. Like that would be definitely the best camera pull probably all year showing me, you know, all sorts of good deer moving through the area and lost the dang thing. Who knows what was on there? So, but that's how it goes. So that was my, uh, my trail camera excitement for the weekend. I checked the one card and just a handful of does, nothing exciting. So it's still early. The the beans the beans are just starting to pop out of the ground now. So I think on this property where those cameras are, we should start getting some good some good deer activity here soon, and those cameras will start lighting up. But I don't know. That's the story for me. What about you? What were you up to? Well, let's see. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago is when I actually put out my mineral stations, and so this weekend. I went up and hung my trail cameras over top of those mineral stations. And the reason I waited a couple weeks is because a, to prevent me from going in there uh, and B because really unless a deer has a noticeable, like a, a cut in his ear or a double throat patch or some, something that you could tell who he is right now, you can't tell tell them apart in my opinion. But, uh, so I went out and I hung all my trail cameras up Well, not all of them. I forgot one of my cable, like my tree cables. So I got one, two, three, four trail camera, uh, four out of my eight hung up. I come to find out something's wrong with three of them. And Oof. so I'm going to have to do some research to find out what, what's wrong with them. They're not, it's not recording pictures to the SD card. Um, so I'm going to have to call the manufacturer and find out what, uh, what's going on. And hopefully it's just a quick reset fix. And, uh, other than that, did some scouting, found an awesome pinch point that I can't wait to, to get in and dive into. I'm actually going to write a blog about this specific pinch point in the next couple weeks. And, uh, so yeah, uh, then it, you know, then the next step is hanging a couple tree stands in this little area and uh, watch, you know, get an observation stand up, and when the season does come around, watch the movement and then make a make a move accordingly. Man, sounds like a pretty good plan. Yep. Um, that's that's 
funny you mentioned the fact that you had three cameras go go dead on you too. We were both having some pretty bad luck on the camera side of things, I guess, so far. Yeah, I mean, they work just fine, but it's just that they're not catching the pic. They're not taking, transferring the image to the SD card. So, yeah, who knows what's what's going on. And I've had some friends who have had some same issues with some of these cameras in the past. And, uh, you know, otherwise, these cameras work awesome. It's just that now all of a sudden, and last year they worked just fine, so I don't know if I dropped them or something or what the deal is. I, I'll have to do a little work to find out what the deal is. Yeah, well, wish you luck with that. Yeah. But, uh, that's no good missing almost half of your cameras. So that, um, you know, with that being the case, I'm curious, Dan, I'd like to explore what your thoughts are on this, and then I've got a handful of ideas that I wanted to share, but since we're talking right now about trail cameras, and specifically today I really wanted to focus on, you know, uses for trail cameras in the off-season, and while there's no, you know, we don't say there's really a technical off-season since we're doing stuff all year round, but outside of the actual hunting season, how do we use trail cameras? And what I wanted to ask you was, you know, what are your, are your goals or uses for these cameras during, you know, this couple-month period of time before the season? Well, I get them out right about now, and because the deer, the antler growth really isn't, you know, anything to really care about right now. I mean, it's fun to see them, but right now I, I kind of want to see what, how many fawns the does had, and if they're, uh, you know, sometimes the the does won't visit these mineral sites this early with their fawns, but sometimes they do, and I'd like I'd like to get an idea of how many, uh, how many does were actually bred and how many had fawns just, you know, just kind of, uh, cause I know in some, some of my properties, they just get hammered hot shotgun season and, uh, the population's probably, you know, cut down between 25 to 50% every year. Wow. A lot of those young bucks and, uh, young does being killed. So it's always good to kind of get an idea of, you know, what the next crop coming in is, I guess that's, that's one of the reasons. Okay, nice. And then as we get farther into the summer, once there's some more antler growth, what are you looking for then? Are you just, uh, Pure, purely return shooters? Um, you know, just like, you know, we study these trail camera pictures, uh, long enough, and that would be specifically putting together a hit list and what deer made it, what deer returned, uh, Deer that you hope you see, deer that are um, like a three-year-old, four-year-old that you kind of hope you never see within shooting range. It'd be nice to see them from the stand, but you don't want to have to make that decision on a on a big three-year-old right. and uh, kind of hope nature makes that decision for you by not having them show up. And, uh, and then basically helping you find out where you start hunting, what where the the deer are and if they're around those food sources come early season you know where i'm going to be hunting okay all right that seems like pretty well in line with with what i'm looking for and what my goals are this time of year too like you said number one i'm looking to um, take inventory of what bucks are in the area and you know part of that is checking out what you mentioned you know return shooters what deer were that i was hunting in the past are back this year and then also you know what new deer are moving into the ranks you know in some cases where I've taken a deer or neighbors have taken a deer, you know, new, new bucks, new mature bucks will move into the area. So I'm always curious to see, you know, what those deer might be. Um, 
And then also, in some cases, I'm hunting new properties. And this time of year, I really like to use these trail cameras to help give me a better idea of the overall quality or the general quality of this area. Um, so again, if I get a couple of mature bucks or a lot of mature bucks on camera, um, while, you know, they may not all be there come fall, it still is a good sign that, uh, this general region holds, you know, the type of deer I'm looking for that, you know, may be rolling through there, uh, you know, come the rut. And, you know, a big thing also related to this kind of, uh, related to what I just mentioned is the fact that a lot of deer have a different summer range and a different fall range. Um, and usually around the time that velvet's coming off, maybe the first week in September, give or take, a lot of these bucks are relocating from that summer range to a new area. And, you know, what I've seen and, you know, from others that I've talked to, I would guesstimate maybe around 50%, maybe 50% of bucks are relocating from a new area. So when I've got a property um, and I've got maybe four or five different mature bucks in the summer, I usually assume that maybe two, maybe three of those bucks even might not be there in the fall. That said, it's still important to be tracking those deer because two or three of them may, may still be there. And then those other two that may be relocated, they could always roll back through during the rut. And like you said, it's nice to be able to take a look at those deer now, judge them to your best of your ability, age them, um, and make a decision you know, shoot or don't shoot. Um, I'd much rather make that decision right now sitting, you know, at the computer screen and say, okay, the double fork G2 buck for sure. He's going to get a pass because he's a really great two and a half year old. And now, you know, when it comes to November and this great big split G2 buck comes running by, I'm not, you know, trying to make this decision in the heat of the moment. I already know right away. Oh, I recognize that deer. He's a two and a half year old. I'm letting him go. Um, so I love being able to make those judgment calls now when you can, well, not now, but July and August, when you can make those judgment calls sooner, make sure you're confident with your decisions. Then you know, when it gets to the hunting season, and I've had a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of, you know, resemblance to what you just said, as far as September and watching, uh, the bucks spread out. Now, of course they're hitting at that time of year, they, they start to stop hitting the, uh, the mineral stations. Yep. So unless you actually catch them on a food source or on some main trail and know they're there, you know, once they stop hitting those mineral stations, it's kind of hard to know at, for a fact, if they're in the area or not. Right. Right. That comes a lot, comes down to the location of where those cameras are going, which, yep. which we can talk about in a little bit here. Um, and then to one more thing you mentioned, the fact that, you know, for those deer that do end up sticking around, um, you know, Getting those pictures during the summer can help you start to understand some of the bedding areas that they're frequenting, some of their favorite food sources, and of course, you know, f food sources and bedding areas will change between the summer and the fall, but in some cases, they'll stay the same, and, and if you just kind of bank that knowledge, it will help educate your um, your strategies come October and November. Even though in many cases they change, you'll still have one piece of the puzzle that I think is worth having and can help you make those decisions. So I really do pay attention and try to learn as much as I can from these pictures, not just say, okay, here is six shooter. He's on camera here. I try to think, okay, I've got 15 pictures of him right, uh, you know, right before dark in this location. I've got 20 pictures of him in this location an hour before dark. And that's helping me better understand how he's using that property, um, where he might be bedded. And then I can make assumptions, um, based on that knowledge and translate that to what it means for me in October, November, et cetera. So, 
I think the only other thing that I'm really looking to do um, with my cameras this time of year, and I haven't done this enough myself, um, I want to get more serious about it, but something that you know everyone should really consider, especially given the conditions the past couple of years with EHD and the tough winter and a lot of people struggling with declining whitetail herds, and that is doing a trail camera survey. And a trail camera survey is something that can really help you understand the population of whitetails on your property in the surrounding area. Um, so I wanted to, to just briefly mention this, um, and I'll give you the the definition of what a trail camera survey is straight from the Quality Deer Management Association's Deer Cameras book, which is a really great book um, on this topic for trail cameras. If you're interested in really diving deep into everything you could possibly ever want to know about the subject, I highly recommend that book. So, quoting from the book, at a basic level, a trail camera survey involves baiting a number of sites across your property photographing deer with trail cameras at these spots for about two weeks and then using a set of calculations to extrapolate population dynamics based on the deer photographed. These surveys can be conducted just after hunting season or more popularly just before the season. So what you're doing then is you know, baiting some cameras, getting pictures of as many different deer as you possibly can in those areas for about 10 to 14 days, and then you're going to sort and kind of organize those pictures. You're gonna break it down by, here's all the bucks we have, here's all the fawns we have, here's all the does we have, and then you put together this whole kind of analysis, and then with a, a number of different calculations, which um, I'll link to a couple articles in the show notes which detail exactly how to do this, or in that book I mentioned, there's a ton of information about how to properly run one of these surveys, but with a few calculations based on the sample of data that you get from those pictures, you can start understanding things as what's the estimated whitetail population, what's the buck-to-doe ratio, what's your age structure, uh, your population density, a whole lot of really interesting, important information you can get from these calculations. So highly recommend you know looking into how to do that. And again, full instructions, um, we'll get you links to that so that you can give that a shot. And I think, you know, most people, are, like I mentioned, are either doing it right after the season, but the majority of folks are going to do that maybe that August time frame when you can see those fawns are, you know, clearly still fawns, um, but you, you've got that population or those fawns included in the population. And it's a great time to get an idea of, okay, how many does should I be harvesting this year? How many bucks should I be looking to take if possible? And just having a better idea of, of what you want to do that hunting season. So I don't know. Have you ever done or looked into anything like that, Dan? Um, not, not to that standard. I know I've kept track one year and I don't even know, I had a little booklet where after the hunting season was over, I kept track of how many does visited my trail camera in a 24 hour period. But I think my numbers were skewed because there were the same group of does hitting the trail cameras more than one time a day. So you know, I don't know if that calculation counts that into uh, the mix, but um, because there's snow on the ground and there's easy, accessible food for these deer, they're going to go to the bait piles before they have to go digging through the snow. And uh, they, you know, they're pulling those bait piles in the wintertime are pulling in deer from, uh, you know, could be a long ways away that typically don't live in that area. So I'm pretty sure the survey that I took, if you want to even call it a survey would have been skewed in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that being the case too, but it's interesting. Nonetheless, um, the, when running one of these trail camera surveys by the books, it's, it's interesting. Research has shown that if you make these calculations with a large enough sample size, 
um, it's actually very st statistically significant and accurate um, once it's all kind of worked out. So something to look into. And I think I probably will try doing that on a couple properties around me here just to better understand how to do that and get an idea of what exactly these populations are like and you know how I should be hunting. So something to consider. But moving on from that, you know, now that we know this is how we're using our cameras during the summer and those months leading up to the hunting season, I'm curious, Dan, where do you like to place your cameras this time of year and leading up to the season? Yeah, right now they're specifically over mineral sites, and uh, that's just because the deer are hitting hitting them right now. Um, you know, and I think we talked a little bit about this on a previous podcast, but uh, you know, the mineral is beneficial for the uh, for the fawns, you know, for the does in their lactation cycle, and then also. Um, I guess produce positive impact when it comes to the uh, the growth of the antlers. Now, how this is proven, I don't know. According to the uh, according to the brands of mineral that I've used over the years, you know, guaranteed bigger bucks. You know what I mean, Mark? So, <laughs> of course. But yeah, right now they're specifically over trail cameras. As the crops start to come up in, in July and they start, you know, the, especially the bean fields where the, uh, the beans start um, potting and the corn starts getting those soft little uh, kernels on them that they like to eat, uh, I'll transition probably somewhere in July to, you know, early August, depending on, you know, when, when I think they're hitting those food sources, I'll be transferring over to them. Um, and even main trails going to these food sources. So, you know, and it's different every year. I just, it, I find it out during my scouting. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. That's pretty close to what I do as well. Um, I'm using mineral sites and some attractants, but I'm also um, right from the get go, I'm placing these cameras and creating these mineral sites near those food sources that are going to be hot in June, July, and August. Um, so in the cases where I've got a property with beans on it, all my cameras are pretty much somewhere near the edge, near those beans. And then I add the mineral site or the different attractants. Um, I've used a number of different mineral products. Um, and we'll actually talk about this a little bit later too. Um, but then I also use some different attractants. Um, I've used the Big and J attractants as well. That seems to pull them into the mineral site. And then the mineral site will keep them coming long after that, um, after that feed and attractant or corn or whatever it might be. After that's gone, they keep hitting the minerals. Um, so, I'm usually placing right now, all my cameras are pretty near the bean fields. And then eventually they move from hitting just the mineral right now to they're coming to the soybeans and then they'll stop by the mineral site for a few minutes and then move on to the soybeans. Uh, but in general, that's what I'm doing. And I think it's also not only is it, you know, where the deer are right now, but also by having these food or having these cameras out near the edge of those food sources, I'm able to get in there and check them easily. Uh, yeah. without, you know, bumping any more deer than necessary. And even though hunting season isn't, you know, for a long time, I like to keep things as low pressure as I can. Um, and that's just going to help me get more pictures too. The more uh, low pressure I can put, or the less pressure I can put on that trail camera site, the better chance I've got of getting pictures of a, a big deer. So Right, right. And I, I guess I have one of my trail cameras. It's over top of a mineral station, but it also is over top of a water hole too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of a double up there. Yeah, that's a good one. I've done that a couple times too. Haven't not too recently, but that's a great place for summer pictures for sure. Right. And I just get nervous now when, you know, 
you got these ponds on these farms. Um, and some of them are, some of these ponds I, I have are, they're real old, you know? So basically they're just mud holes, frogs, mosquitoes. So I was kind of hesitant to put a trail camera there to get these deer to come up to this. But the, you know, there was tons of tracks before I even got there. So they're still drinking out of it. You know, I just, I just feel those are EHD prone areas. And, uh, I don't know. It's for some reason kind of makes me nervous. Yeah. Especially after, uh, two summers ago, I right. think a lot of people are nervous. I, I got pretty lucky when it came to this is, this is off topic, but, um, I was pretty lucky in most of my properties. I think it was the summer of 2012 that that horrible EHD outbreak hit. I didn't get affected too much, but how about you? What, what happened on the spots you hunt? You know, to be honest with you, other than those ponds, and those are closer to the road, so there's not a lot of deer activity uh, up there anyway. But the properties that I ha- hunt have a consistent and, – and you know how hot it was last year. Oh, yeah. Last summer and dry. I had consistent water running through my properties the entire year. It was slow, but there was moving water, which from my understanding helps. Right. Keeps the, those midges from yep. reproducing in that standing water. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, got lucky, but I do know some friends and kind of related to what you just said, some spots where there's big standing water swamps or ponds. Um, and I, I know a couple of friends that had some properties that lost 70 or 80 deer. And, and, you know, when there's properties with big water sources like that, it's attracting deer from around the area that are all coming yeah. there to die. Um, since those deer that have EHD, um, for whatever reason, are attracted to water sources like that. Um, but I sure hope it's not something we need to talk about this summer, but we'll continue right. to, we'll continue to track what happens, uh, summer 2014 and hopefully EHD isn't nearly as bad as it has been the past couple of years. But man, I know some people really got hammered by it and it can really do, it can do some damage. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So we talked about, you know, where we're putting those cameras, both of us, we've got our cameras over some type of mineral, maybe some kind of attractant, and we're usually near a food source or a water source or something like that. How often are you checking your cameras? For me, Dan, I'm checking them every, on average, about every two weeks. Um, last summer, I was really good about it, and I checked them only once a month, and I think that actually helped. In a couple spots, I got a lot of mature buck pictures more than I do usually. And I think that's because I was being particularly careful about just leaving it alone. And on one of my spots, I, I even was able to access it by just walking a Creek. And I just walked that Creek, pop up the shore, check the camera, pop back down the Creek. And I was just especially careful, even though it was the off season, I was trying to be especially careful about, you know, that movement I was making into the property. And I think that might've helped. Um, but probably on average, it's it's maybe every 10 to 14 days I'm checking this time of year just to get an idea and see what's going on. But, but what about you? Well, one, like I always I, – I think I've said this almost every podcast now. I live about an hour away from my hunting properties. So last year, I was forcing myself to go down every two weeks. And that just got kind of, kind of hard to because I was finding myself at like 4 o'clock on a Sunday night driving down to where I hunt, checking cards, and then coming back. So now I upgraded my SD cards to eight gigabytes, or excuse me, from two to four. Nice. And so now I'm just, 
I'm, I'm going to let them sit a month this year, probably three to four weeks or any time that I'm back in town, I'll throw it, you know, do a check. But my goal is to do four weeks. So, um, you know, as far as pressure con- is concerned, I'm not putting out a lot of pressure and, you know, I know that I have cards big enough to handle all the images because yeah. I've had times where even though, even though you have like, uh, I don't know what the, what in, on my trail camera, it's called rewrite. So once a card's full, it starts rewriting over the oldest ones. Right. And mine was doing that, but you kind of miss kind of miss the whole growth cycle or you miss you could miss something and i don't like that so i just got bigger sd cards yeah that's the way to go for sure you don't want to i mean it's it's nice that they'll rewrite and they'll keep taking pictures because i guess the one thing worse would be you know the no, last no pictures at all exactly or the last two weeks no pictures so at least you get the most recent pictures but but yeah i um i can definitely see that be nice i you know, when it comes to checking my cameras, like we've talked about, I try to keep as minimal as possible, but man, when I'm, at least for the properties where I'm close to these properties, it's just tough. It you is. Know? <laughs> I want to open my Christmas gifts and I want them now, you know? Right. right. <laughs> but, um, similar to you, I do have other properties that I hunt out of state where just by the nature of the distance, I'm forced to wait longer, which is a good thing. Um, so like my spots down in Ohio, I'll, I'll be checking those just once a month. And I actually put a camera up down on our Ohio property like two or three weeks ago. So I think maybe mid to late June, I'll be making another trip down there to check that camera. And I'm excited because uh, there's a couple really nice deer that I think made it through. So excited about that. But yeah. next, I thought this is a perfect segue to you mentioned you have eight cameras. And right. um, so I was I'll share a little bit about how many cameras I have, but I'm curious, you know, how are you spreading these cameras out about how many cameras per property or per, let's say maybe a hundred acres are you putting out there? It's funny because I have learned that on a couple of these properties, I'll give you an example. I have a river bottom ag field that, and along the, the river, the Creek system down there, there's probably a 20, I'd say maybe a 30, 40, 50 yard strip of timber between the river and the ag field. And a lot of these deer like to bed there. Now I've had trail camera and mineral stations right there and had a good amount of deer show up. Now this past year I put a mineral station across the big ag field, probably 250, 300 yards on the op, the opposite end of this ag field that butts up against to, uh, the main draws and all the timber completely different set of deer hit that one. So even though it was relatively close, they were close geographically, the deer just traveled in different areas. So I'm getting different deer. So it all depends on the geography of the properties. Um, I have, I would say roughly 50 acres, maybe for one, for one mineral station, one trail camera right now. Now when the hunting season, I know over from experience that I'm going to, uh, there's, there's going to be a spot this year. And I talked about the pinch point that I found found out where I'm going to have a trail camera on a fence crossing and I'm going to have a trail camera down at the bottom and they're going to be probably 
75, 80 yards away from each other, covering two en- entry and exit points coming out of the same location on this pinch point. It's going to catch every deer that's going to come through. Right. But it's a, it's a lot for me. It's based off the geography. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And there's sometimes those almost uh, like blockades that aren't like natural blockades, like a, like a Creek or a Ridge or a road that even though, you know, you might be in a 10 acre area, one group of deer, like you said, one group of deer only works the one five acres and one group of deer only works the other 45 on the other side of it. And you'll never see the same deer on the other side. Um, so yeah, there's no perfect answer. Like you said, um, I probably, I think it also depends at the time of the year. So this right. time of year during the summer, I probably have less cameras out um, per property or per hundred acres. Um, you know, for instance, take for example, um, one of the main properties in Michigan I have, I'll have two cameras hanging in the summer. And then during the hunting season, I might turn it up to three, maybe even four, because I'm trying to better understand movement in certain areas or daytime usage. While this time of the year, you know, I'm just trying to get pictures of a few select deer and you know, you're drawing them in from that larger area with your attractant. So, um, but like you said, it all depends. Um, I guess I'd probably average maybe in the summer one per hundred acre, maybe like you said, one per 50 acres, I guess. Um, but it's, it's a fluid answer. There's no perfect answer to that. Right. And then come, come hunting season, it all changes. Cause when I had, I, I had a giant, an absolute giant. I don't know if I ever showed you pictures of him, but, uh, showed up and in this 55 acre piece that I had permission to hunt. And then one, let's see. Yeah. I had, I had five, one, two, three, four, five trail cameras on a 55 acres. Wow. And I, I, he was, he's worth it to, to have that many cameras there, you know? Uh, so I only had three other cameras for the rest of my properties, but this deer was worth it. So, you know, I, I may have sacrificed in other areas, but I wanted to, you know, if I had the opportunity to kill a 200 inch typical 10, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that. That kind of deer would uh, warrant some special attention from anyone. Right, right. Oh man, I can't. Uh, <laughs> I just, that's the one deer I'm hoping shows back up this year, but typically he shows up in the winter when I drop corn and he didn't this year. So I'm kind of nervous. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh gosh, that's the best thing about this time of year though. In June and July, getting the answer to that question, hopefully, you know, did he yeah. make it? And I know exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, he's got two slices out of his left ear and I know who, I know who he is. And I just, I hope, I hope he shows back up, man. I'm pumped to see what, see what kind of conspires. I sure hope so. Hope it happens for you too. That'll be some exciting summer podcasts. If our, uh, <laughs> yeah. if our yeah, local, we might have to have a, we might have to have a podcast where I'm, I'm from the field checking my trail cameras <laughs> to get the live reaction. Yeah. Oh man. I could geek out about this all day. I've got a couple friends of mine that will you know, just meet up and talk deer, get breakfast every once in a while. And I'll just talk like probably every time we meet up, it'll be like, Oh man, what do you think Laner's going to look like if you made it this year? And we'll just sit there and Ooh and ah about it for 10 minutes. It doesn't get old. I can just no, dream. I can just no, dream about it, man. But, um, let's jump to something we had 
kind of touched on a couple times already. Um, we've, we've half answered this question, but what about what exactly are we putting in front of our trail cameras? I sort of already covered for me. I'm putting out a combination of mineral and attractant. So for minerals, I've used a couple different things. I've used trophy rocks. I've used a mineral from the Whitetail Institute of North America. Um, and I'm also looking forward to trying a couple new mineral products from Big and J this year. So those are the things when it comes to mineral I'm using. And then for just an attractant, I'm either using Big and J's um, long range attractant, essentially a feed that you're pouring out there on the ground. And then I'm also usually mixing that with corn. So I'm putting out maybe 10, 20, 30 pounds, depending on where I'm at and what the legal limit is. Um, so that's what I'm putting in front of my cameras to draw those deer and to get the pictures during the summertime. What specifically are you using? Well, over the past years, it's literally varied, and a lot of it has to do with price of the product. Yeah. Um, now, when I was with a hunting team, I guess you want to say, uh, I had I had some stuff at dirt cheap prices, or I got for free, so no brainer. That's what I used. Right. But in the past, from a from me purchasing it myself. I, you know, lucky buck always comes to mind. Um, it's, it's a really good attractant. And I tell you, deer come to that stuff. Uh, right. we have monster rack. I've used the past couple of years, seen good results this year. I have a good friend who started a business and the name of the company is called whitetail XTC. Okay. And, uh, um, that's a, a fairly effect. It's middle of the range as far as price is concerned. And, uh, when I went and hung my trail cameras this weekend, it looks like they're hitting it very good. So, nice. you know, uh, I think a lot of these, uh, these products do the same thing, but you know, it's all the marketing on what, what you want them, you know, what they want you to believe as far as bigger bucks or if it's a pure attractant, if it's, you know, we've talked about that a hundred times now, as far as official attractants, uh, last year and a little bit this year, um, I've used something from Monster Rack, and it's they, they it's like it's almost like a syrup. It's uh, they have cherry flavors and a whole bunch of different flavors. Um, that's that's just a real potent smell, and yep. I guess the deer are attracted to it. Um, don't know how much it actually works, and if it works for longer than up until the first rain washes it all away, who knows? But it seems to uh, catch some attention. I don't know if I'm going to be using it that much this year. But uh, I can see how it would catch their nose. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing that I that I look for for that type of thing is that scent. So that's a big reason why I like the Big and, Ray, big and J project is because it's got a strong scent. Or if I'm going to use anything else, I'm looking for something that's going to catch the deer's nose from a distance and bring them in. And then they can discover that, hey, I've got a consistent mineral source here or a consistent source of corn or whatever it might be. Right. Um, it's nice to be able to catch them from a distance. Um quick mention on the the lucky buck thing lucky buck is actually out of an area right near where i live and one of my best buddies down here actually was on some of their i think their packaging and some of their advertisements because he killed a a state record michigan buck back in the day so cool kind of fun story about lucky buck i've I've actually never used lucky buck even though they're local Um, but like you said i've heard good things so i just want to have a quick remind like a quick tip for you mentioned laying corn out this time of year and throughout the summer. Yep. Just make sure you, that corn pile is getting plenty of sunlight throughout the day because, and this is what I've learned the hard way. You dump out a corn pile in August, September and inside the timber, 
that humidity is going to create mold on that corn pile and then the deer won't touch it. They'll actually stay away from it. So it, if you're going to do it, make sure it's on a field edge where sun can dry it out the entire time. Just kind of a, a quick tip, I guess. I like that. Quick tips from Dan Johnson. That's a good one right there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. We are very quickly running out of time. It's uh, gone a lot faster than I thought we were going to. Um, hey, time flies when you're having fun, Mark. That's the truth. That's the truth. How about, uh, real quick, we touch on the types of cameras we're using. Um, I've used a handful of different cameras over the years, but probably the last four years or so, I've fine-tuned my purchases down to Bushnell Trophy Cams. Um, I've used probably four other brands, but I, I've had so many darn issues with different cameras where they just die on me or something's flimsy or something's not working. And the most consistent one I've found so far has been the Bushnells. I originally tried them because they were the, you know, back five years ago, they were the only cameras that were really small. Now everyone's small, um, which is great. Uh, but for me, I just have built that trust with them over this past four or five year period. Um, and I've just grown to, to feel comfortable with them. Uh, you know, 99% of the time I'm, I know I'm going to get pictures I know they're going to look half decent uh, and I don't need to worry about them crashing on me. So, so I've stuck with them because of that. And, you know, they also, when it comes down to other important features, they've got one of the fastest trigger speeds out there, which is important. So you're catching deer if they're moving across the frame and they've got all, you know, all the other features that most camera manufacturers have, the fancy stuff like, uh, you know, the, uh, plot, plot scanner or the different types of flash modes and et cetera. So for me, that's what I'm using. Um, and I have, I think nine cameras that I've accumulated over the years now. Um, and I've had a handful that have died on me. Um, and of those nine that are still alive right now, I think seven of them are, are those trophy cams. So that's mostly what I'm using, but you know, that's what I choose to use. That's what worked well for me and what I believe in. But you know, there's, there's other options. Um, and I'm sure you've been using some different cameras too. So what's worked for you, Dan? Well, back in the day when I bought my first trail cameras, um, they were fairly cheap. And they were Moultries, and they took the double D batteries. Oh, yeah. They were heavy, and they were about the size of a sheet of paper, it felt like. So they stuck out. They're big. Uh, they, they had flash. So, But, you know, they, they had an SD card, and they seemed to work. Since then, um, and again, having the benefit of being on a, um, the hunting team, if you want to say that, uh, I got some pretty good prices uh, from covert tra trail cameras. And to be honest with you, they're, they're right in the middle of the line. They're not the cheapest and they're not the most expensive. Yep. And when, and they work really good. Uh, it was just this year that I had some issues with them. Um, the Moultries of the past, uh, they, they did not work after below freezing for some reason. It, they just <laughs> would take black pictures. And, uh, so anytime it was below freezing outside, it would just, it was like 32 degrees and the camera would it would work, take pictures, but the pictures would show up just black. Um, you know, my, my, uh, coverts work really well. And, uh, other, aside from just a couple issues with them, um, very, very dependable. And I also have one of those, uh, trail cameras by covert that sends the pictures to your cell phone. Oh yes. And, uh, that's pretty cool. Not gonna lie, that is very cool. But I, the um, issue, the issue is, you gotta, you know, you gotta have cell phone reception to, for them to work. And I, 
if I do get cell phone reception, it's very minimal where I hunt, and that that can be a problem. And something to definitely take into consideration if you're going to purchase one of those cameras. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I've never used one of those in the past, but um, you know Bushnell has came out with one this year, so I'm excited to try that this summer, and it's going to be really nice for me um, because you know I hunt some properties that are five hours away from home, so right. it's just un- it's not realistic for me to be able to check those too often. So I'm really excited to try that out, see how that works, and like you said, there's some. Um, some qualifiers, some things like you need to have cell phone service, et cetera. But I think overall it's a trend that we're going to, we're going to see consistently growing more and more manufacturers are going to put that out because it makes all the sense in the world. Why wouldn't you want that? And it's only going to Moore's law. You should know what Moore's law is, right? Is that the one that anything that's going to go wrong will go wrong? Uh, it could be, maybe I'm wrong, but yours is the, the technology cuts in half every year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every 18 months technology, the price of, the technology increases, but the price decreases. Yes. So as more of these show camera manufacturers come out with these, you know, send a cell phone options, uh, you're going to see the price go down and the technology is going to become cheaper. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thing for consumers. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I think the one I was thinking of, the law I was thinking of was Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. That's Murphy's right. Law. <laughs> Too many dang laws to keep straight. All right, so last question then for our episode here on off-season trail camera use. And this one comes from a reader over at wiredhunt.com. This comes from Derek, and he asks, you know, how do you organize your trail camera photos? Um, so I'll let you take a stab at it first, Dan, and then I'll share what I do. Yeah, it's pretty easy. I just create um, however many properties I have. I create a file on my computer, and let's say property one. And on property one, then I have it broken down by year, so 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever. And then every year I create a new file, and then I have it bro- broken down by buck, like the buck that I'm chasing. So by property, then by year, then by buck. Now if I have a cool picture I, I, you know, that's just cool or neat to look at, not necessarily helping me with any type of uh, putting together a hit list, I'll save that in a different a different spot but yeah property by property then by year then by deer so every, every one of those is a new folder nice okay that's pretty close to what i do as well i've got a folder system as well on my computer i do by property and then by year and then i break it down a little bit differently here i've got a different folder for each um each different trail camera location okay and then within that i'll dump each new pull so it'll be back scrape August, back scrape October 1st, back scrape October 29th or whatever. And I'll just dump those in there. But I don't really reference those too often because that's, you know, it'll be a thousand pictures in a folder. That's kind of just a backup just in case I want to reference these files again. What I, what I really am looking at the most is I have a, a buck folder. So it'll be, you know, property number one, 2013. And then I'll put my 2013 bucks folder. And then within that, I will save every picture of a two and a half year old buck or bigger or older um, because, you know, even though I'm not targeting two and a half year old bucks, I, you're, they're, they're definitely recognizable at that point. And so that the following year when they come back, hopefully as a three and a half year old, I'll be able to say, oh yeah, this one's a shooter now or is a four and a half year old. Yep. He's a shooter. And I've got, I can go back and look at his pictures back when he was a two and a half year old and probably be able to identify those. So the deepest I've gone is, is by the, you know, shooter bucks or two and a half year old bucks or older. And I'm starting to, you know, have 
bucks that I've I've followed for several years. So I'm going to start breaking that buck folder down into folders for those different shooter bucks too, so that I'll have you know four or five folders hopefully for mature deer that I followed for a couple of years and, and keep breaking it down. But that's the plan for this year. Um, and you know, there's also a couple neat websites that have come out in the past year or so, um, or will be coming out soon with features that help you organize trail camera photos. Um, I know a site that's, uh, that's going to be relaunching here soon. Huntsoft.com is going to have some features like that, I believe soon, as well as hunt force and deer lab. Um, all these different three services offer different ways for you to upload your pictures and analyze them in different ways. So we'll probably be talking about some of those in more detail in the future because I think it's pretty neat. Um, different ways that you can organize your photos online, sort through them, filter them, and, and learn some different things based on looking looking at your photos at an aggregate level. So something to think about. Cool beans, man. What do you think? Anything else that you want to touch on? Well, just real quickly, when it comes to trail cameras, now I, you know, I wrote a blog uh, earlier uh, this week or last week actually about, you know, some tips and tricks about trail cameras on the the ninefingerchronicles.com, but I'll just want to cover one of those real quick. Sure. And that is to be to be anal retentive about your trail cameras. And that just means make sure you have enough battery life make sure your trail camera is actually taking pictures and transferring them to the the SD card. Make sure that they are in the right location. I mean, just be anal retentive because nothing is worse than going in and finding out that your computer or your, your trail camera did not take pictures. That pisses me off, especially when it's my fault. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, just be anal, and even if you're checking it three, four times, you got to do it because it's worth it. Awesome tip. So true, so valuable, and uh, got to pay attention to the details. That's something that I'm always hammering and talking about is the paying attention to the small things, right. um, and that's a perfect example of it. So excellent way to wrap this episode up. Thank you, Dan. Yep. So with that said... <laughs> And I'm going to take one quick step back here now. I actually had a listener of the podcast send me a message on Facebook that said that, and this is only for people of age, but he said that he's started a drinking game every time that I say, that being said, because I guess I say that a lot. <laughs> so he's taking a drink every time I say that. So I just, you know, I just gave him another sip right there. But Maybe I, uh, I will, when you say that, maybe the next podcast, I'll take a shot. <laughs> and we'll see how how I'm speeching or speeching. I'm shit. I can't even talk now. <laughs> yeah. How I talk by the end of that by the end of that podcast. Well, you know, this is a family podcast. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just do it with grape juice. There you go. No, I think uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. And I've caught myself saying it a handful of times now already today after he mentioned that. And uh, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. So, <laughs> all right. So with that being said. <laughs> I don't know how to transition any other way but that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try this though. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone out there listening today. Uh, of course, we're thrilled that you joined us and for dealing with me saying things like that being said and all that. So big props for, for sticking with us for almost an hour here. Um, I know that might not be easy sometimes. <laughs> but if you have enjoyed the show, 
you know, we would really, really, really appreciate it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. You know, this, of course, helps us get the word out about what we're doing, but it also helps other hunters find the show. And hopefully, you know, that can help give them an opportunity to learn a thing or two more about becoming a better deer hunter. You know, hopefully we're helping you a little bit, and I'd love to be able to help more people as they grow as deer hunters. And we've actually had 21 incredible folks leave us a rating already. And man, we really, really appreciate that. And I thought I'd share one of those reviews here today. And this comes from quote unquote, big country. And uh, I don't know if this is a he or she, but big country's reviewed is titled awesome hunting podcast, exclamation point, exclamation point. And he or she says packed with tons of great info will definitely change the way I hunt in years to come based on all the great tips and strategies provided. It's also a lot of fun to listen to and hear all the stories from different personalities. Keep it coming. So huge thanks to you, Big Country. We will definitely keep it coming. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you saying that. And to everyone else out there who's left a review, big thanks. Um, you know, if you'd like to re- leave a review of your own, which maybe we'll someday read on the air too, you can head to iTunes right now and search for the Wired to Hunt podcast. Click on our little Wired to Hunt podcast image and then select the ratings or review tab. And there you'll see a little button that says write a review. And, you know, from there you can go ahead and write whatever you want about us for the podcast. Maybe something about how you don't like the fact that Dan only has nine fingers or, <laughs> or maybe about how you don't like the fact that I say that being said all the time. You know, whatever it is you'd like to say, we appreciate it. And uh, speaking of thanks, we'd also like to thank our partners who help make this show possible huge, huge help. You know, we wouldn't be able to keep the website running or this podcast on the air if it weren't for great hunting brands out there that believe in what we're doing and are supporting us. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Bushnell Optics, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. That being said, <laughs> be, be sure to visit wiredhunt.com slash episode 10. And that's the number 10. And that's where you'll be able to find our show notes from today's episode. I'll include all the links for different things we mentioned today, as well as a handful of other articles or links to articles um, that we've written on Wired to Hunt about trail cameras. And we'll also link to that article that Dan mentioned on his blog, The Nine Finger Chronicles. And if you're new, please head over to wiredtohunt.com to sign up for our Whitetail Fix newsletter. That's where you'll get different updates and news on what's going on in the blog, exciting things coming up. And, um, you know, we'll keep stuff interesting if you sign up there. So, Thanks again, Wired Hunt Nation. Until next time, have a great week. Get out in the woods and do the work. Never say never. And always, always stay wired to hunt.